Well, good morning again, church. It is good to be here to worship with you. It's, it's good to have uh, uh, Corey leading us, and what a great job. I appreciate that new song that he introduced. Uh, new to me, never heard it before. And so, I have, uh, Today we're going to continue our study of the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 16, and so we're kind of coming to the end of this farewell address that we've been studying for a while that began in John 14. And so just as a reminder of where we are, uh, Jesus has left the upper room with his disciples. Uh, John chapter 14 was Jesus' teaching after Judas was gone, but he was still there with his 11 committed disciples. At the end of John chapter 14, you have an indicator where Jesus says, let's leave this place, and they're walking out toward the Garden of Gethsemane. So John 15 and 16 are Jesus' teaching while he's walking with his disciples, his last words, uh, some of the, the, what he really wants them to focus on right before he goes to the cross. And, and so we're within 12 hours or, or 18 hours or so of Jesus' death. Uh, they're on the cross and uh, at Calvary, and and so you know Jesus is uh, he is introduced to them the Holy Spirit in John 14, and then last week he gave some more teaching about the Holy Spirit, and then in, in John chapter uh, 16 verse 16, uh, and this this text following, he's going to uh, talk to us about the how we can find joy even in the most challenging of times. Now he uses the illustration that I'm going to borrow. Because I, I am, this, this illustration hit directly with me. It, 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 it hit home very quickly. Uh, my wife and I had, our children were born during a time, uh, and some of you will remember this time, in the, in the 80s and into the early 90s, there was a movement to uh, not use any type of painkiller or medication when you gave birth to your children. Now, my mom didn't live in that time. My mom lived in a time where pretty well they'd put the woman out and then she'd have the baby and she'd wake up and have a baby. Dad would sit outside in the, in the uh, waiting room and, you know, she had her kids that way. But, but that's not how ours came. And, and, and uh, so Susan, you know, she was very alert and awake through every point of her pregnancy. Now, I, I was introduced to the term trimester, uh, early on, uh, because Susan was one of those young ladies who not only had morning sickness in the first trimester, she had afternoon sickness and evening sickness. She was sick from the beginning until the, at least the end of the third month and a little bit further on. During the second trimester of the pregnancy, she just glowed. She had that smile and that, that joy about her and that glowing face that a, that a lot of ladies have when they're with child. And then came month seven, where she's ready to get this thing out of me. Now, some of you have been there, right? Uh, some of you have lived that. And, uh, of course, then the excitement came when, when labor began, not knowing that labor was going to take about 21 hours with her first child. So, all of that sickness and all of those challenges and all of that pain were almost completely forgotten the moment that that child entered into the world. There's something about that. You can go through all of those struggles, and once that baby comes into the world and, and, and is held in your arms, y'all are having way too much fun with this. I see a lot of laughing going, I don't know if this is personal or if it's on me, but uh, y'all are really enjoying this. Uh, well, once that baby arrives, there, there, there's just a change that takes. It's not that the, the pain or the suffering is completely forgotten. It just doesn't matter anymore. There's a joy that's entered in the world that is much greater 
than all of the struggles and all of the suffering. I've lived through it in, in a, a different way over the last seven or eight years, and we've talked about this. Just a year ago, I was ready to quit that, that PhD work. I was done. I was tired. I don't know how many times I was ready to quit. And something very weird happened. When I completed it, it was almost as though all of that suffering was forgotten. And it wasn't that I want to do it again, <laughs> like Susan did three more times to have three more kids. Uh, it's just that once you reach that point of rejoicing, that's what matters. It's not what happened in the past. And Jesus uses that illustration to help us to, to, to gain some perspective on what true joy is and the meaning of joy. Of joy. If you would read with me John 16, verses 16 through 24. The Scripture says here, in a little while you'll no longer see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while you'll not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They said, what is this he is saying? In a little while, we don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. I want you to notice uh, that the real focus of, of Jesus' uh, uh, teaching here is on joy. Now, he began with struggling through with the disciples this little bit of confusion, this, this issue where they were confused and they didn't know exactly what he was talking about when he says in a little while, well, uh, you know, in a little while you're going to see me, and in a little while you're, you're not going to see me, and then you're going to see me. And, and that created some confusion for them. As much confusion as it created for the disciples at the time, it's created even more confusion for scholars of our day. Because the questions that a lot of people have is, what's he talking about? Is he talking about, uh, you know, the immediate context? Is he talking about what's going to come in the next 50 days? Is he talking about what's going to come in the end times? And, and I want to walk through that real quickly with you, because I think that that uh, certainly, first and foremost, when he says, you know, you're going to have sorrow, uh, that sorrow is going to be rooted in the fact that Jesus is about to die, okay? This is very real to them, and this is immediate. They are walking with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Within a few hours, they're going to see him arrested. They're going to see him drugged before at least three different uh, judicial uh, leaders, they're going to see him beaten and flogged. They're going to see the, the crown of thorns driven onto his brow. They're going to see him carry his cross up to Calvary. They're going to see him bleed and suffer and die. And they're going to see him taken off of that cross and buried in a borrowed tomb. All the while, they recognize that their lives are also on the line. 
Jesus just told them in what we studied two weeks ago that the world is going to hate you just like it hated me. And there's going to come a time when they think that they're doing God's work by trying to kill you. And so he's, he's right here in the midst of not only them watching him die in a horrible, excruciating, unfair way, they're going to be worried about their own life. They're, they're going to see what happened to Jesus and be thinking, is that about to happen to me? And yet, Jesus says, though you mourn for a while and the, the world is rejoicing, it's clear that Jesus is talking about his death on the cross that is imminent and almost immediate after he gives his teaching. So the sorrow, there's no question about it. The sorrow is going to be wrapped up both in seeing Jesus die, but also in the threat that they're about to face. But what, what is it that's going to bring about this joy? Well, I think first and foremost, the one thing that's going to bring joy and rejoicing for them is the resurrection. And everything from here on out, everything after that is going to be be dependent upon that resurrection. So when he says, in a little while you're going to see me, if you look back in, in John 14, 19, it's another place in this, this uh, farewell address where he used that phrase, in a little while. So the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. So their joy is going to be rooted in the fact that just as Jesus overcame death and he came back to life, they also have that hope of a resurrection. They have that hope of life. So regardless of anything that they're going to face, they're going to be able to find joy in the resurrection. They're going to be able to find this, this hope that helps them to look past the sorrow and look past the suffering through the resurrection. Now, some scholars, and, and I, I think that this is also an appropriate uh, interpretation of this passage, and, and I don't think you have to have, uh, it has to be one or the other. I think it can be both. Some scholars believe that what, God, what, what Jesus is pointing to here is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the coming of the Holy Spirit is dependent upon the resurrection and ascension of Christ. So, they're going to see him. At first, they're not going to see him for a little while. Then they're going to see him when he's resurrected. Then he's going to go away again. He's going he's to ascend to heaven. But you'll remember all throughout this farewell address, Jesus has equated himself, his presence, with the presence of his spirit. And so, not only is there reason for rejoicing because of the resurrection, there's going to be reasons for joy because of Pentecost. Because once the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of the living God is going to dwell with us. And he's going to be in us. And so you have both the resurrection and Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that allows us to have that daily relationship, that daily walk with God. So, and, and certainly the teaching here and the teaching in John 14 where he uses that phrase, in a little while you're going to you know, not see me and then you're going to see me again. Both of those are given in context of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just last week, John 16, 1 through down and down through verse 15, that was all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, let's not remove that too far from context. And it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. The resurrection is going to lead to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave us as orphans. His Spirit is going to come and He's going to be with us and in us. And just so He told Philip, back in John chapter 14, verse 7, 8, and 9, that, look, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is also trying to tell us that if you've seen the Spirit, you've seen me, and you've seen the Father. We're all one. 
And so there doesn't have to be that confusion. But there's also some belief out there that for those of us who now live in a time where certainly we don't see the physical expression of Jesus, we know him through his spirit, as we, as we live among his body, the church, there's coming a day when we will see him again. And that's at the return of Christ. So there are some interpreters that believe that this is not only pointing to the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, but there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to bust through the clouds and he's going to ascend from heaven with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and we will see him face to face. And so just as we live in a time where now we don't physically see the Lord, there will be a time when we will see him again. We will see him physically on that day when he returns to bring salvation to all of the world, to all of the earth. So ultimately, we have reason to rejoice regardless of sorrow in our lives because of the resurrection, the presence of God with us through his spirit and his promised return. So, the, the, the confusion, don't let it confuse you. What's he talking about here? You know, what is it in a little while that we're going to see me or not see me? Just focus on the truth that we have the presence of God and he will never, ever, ever leave us. So, what is this joy, this sorrow that turns to joy? First of all, joy is revealed in times of sorrow. Now, I, I want to walk through this with you for just a moment because you never get to see true joy until you find joy in times of sorrow. Otherwise, if, if, if you're experiencing joy or happiness just because of all of the good things in your life, that's not the same as biblical joy. There's a difference. I can be happy about what's happening when things are going well, but God-given, Spirit-empowered joy in the midst of the darkest of places comes only from God himself. That's why the Apostle Paul lists joy among the fruit of the Spirit. Joy and happiness are, are two different things. Happiness, we can be happy because of the good things that are going on. You can find joy regardless of what's going on in your life. Joy is not the absence of struggle or strife or pain or difficulty. Joy is inner delight regardless of our outer circumstances. Joy is inner delight. It, it is something inside of me that is produced by the Spirit of the living God that, that, that dwells within me regardless of what's going on around me. And that's why, as a pastor, I can make a, a visit to, to someone who is on their deathbed, and you can see the joy in their eyes and on their face when they know Jesus and they're dependent upon him and walking with him. Because their joy is something that's coming from the inside out. It's the Holy Spirit that's producing something in them regardless of what's going on around them. Oftentimes, we would hear from our friends in Brownwood when, when uh, Katie was very young and going through all of those times when they told us she wasn't going to live through the night and she was suffering so much pain. And, and people would ask our friends, well, well how, how are Dennis and Susan facing this? How are, they, how are they going through this? And ultimately, Carrie Camp was one of our good friends. He would always say, it's not them, it's Jesus in them. The Spirit of God can give them joy in the midst of all of these circumstances. 
joy is different than happiness. So you, you will not see the true nature of joy in good times. You're really going to see the true nature of joy when times stink and you're going through the rough times because it's then that the spirit of the living God can empower you from within to do something inside of you that doesn't make sense to a lost and dying world. Joy is inner delight regardless of outward circumstances. The victory doesn't erase the struggle. See, Jesus is going to be resurrected from the dead. That's not going to take away all of the problems that the disciples have. Do you know that? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father does not remove the disciples' struggles. In fact, you don't have to look very far in the, gospel, or in the book of Acts to see that even after the Holy Spirit was poured out in all of his glory, in all of his power, that the disciples who then were performing miracles in the name of Jesus still suffered. It didn't take long for Peter and John to get arrested. You're not very far into the book of Acts when Stephen, the first deacon, is stoned to death. You don't have to go much further to see James. One of these very disciples have his head chopped off by Herod the Tetrarch. The resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit did not remove pain and suffering for the disciples, those who were even closest to Jesus. This flies all over the face of, of a modern health and wealth prosperity gospel. And I tell you, that's because that is just not biblical. The biblical truth is that, yes, you're going to face suffering and you're going to face struggles. There's, there's no accident that Jesus begins this, this farewell address with, let not your heart be troubled. You're going to face troubles, but don't let your heart be troubled. And he ends his farewell address with John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Rejoice inside because I've overcome the world. You will have trouble. The resurrection of Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, his imminent return does not remove struggle and strife and difficulty from our lives. But what it does do is it allows us to walk in joy and peace and harmony with the living God in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, and in the midst of the suffering. The, the, the hope that we have as believers is not that our loved ones won't die. It's that in Christ, because of the resurrection, we'll see him again. We'll go through pain. We'll go through suffering. But we have hope that is rooted in Christ that can't be found anywhere else. And so joy is revealed in times of sorrow. And that's why Jesus can say confidently here that your sorrow will be turned to joy. You're going to get to see it in the resurrection. But joy is also resistant to external attacks. No one can take your joy from you, Jesus says down in verse 32. He says, you, you also will have sorrow. But I'll see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one can take away your joy from you. Joy is absolutely resistant to external attacks. That's why Stephen could continue to look toward heaven and worship and praise God in the midst of the stoning. That's why I, I read a story of a pastor in Columbia yesterday who was, it, it, this happened about 10 years ago. I read the story yesterday. He was drug out of his home, taken away from his daughter and his 
wife out into the street where one of the gorillas still watching inside the house, keep an eye on the, the, the wife and the daughter, saw overseeing them while the others shot the husband, the pastor. He, they shot him five times. And then from inside the house, the, 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 that gorilla who was in charge, this, this officer, shouted out, make sure he's dead. And so they put another bullet through his neck. As they left, the wife came outside moved her husband up against a tree. He had already passed, began to wipe off his, the blood from his face, began to wipe off the blood from around his neck, and began to worship the Lord and begin to preach the gospel to those gorillas who had just killed her husband. Nothing could rob her of what Jesus had given her. Nothing could rob her of the internal joy and peace, knowing that she would see her husband again because Jesus had resurrected He had been raised from the dead, and the promise for every single one of us is that when we walk in a relationship with him, we we are connected to him just as we are in his death and suffering. We are connected with him in his resurrection. So there is no external force, neither death nor suffering nor pain or sickness or financial hardship, no, no external force that can rob your joy or can take your joy from you. Now, I'm going to suggest that there are a lot of Christians that seem to live joyless lives. Well, what is it then that can take your joy, that can rob you of your joy? I think that we find the hint in the only other place that the word joy is used in this farewell address. The only other place, now Jesus uses the word joy multiple times here in today's paragraph. He uses it one other time in this farewell address, and it's in John chapter 15, verse 11. This follows that teaching of Jesus where he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, neither, or in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, Jesus' command there, or his teaching, was to help us to see that, that what we needed to do, our first responsibility was to stay connected to he and the Father. It was about that vertical relationship. We talked about this about a month ago. So the first section of John 15 had to do with our relationship with him, abiding in Christ and staying connected to him. But he follows that up with a part of how you stay connected here. Read with me verse 9 through 11 if you have your Bibles open to John 15. The Scripture says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. So what is it that guarantees that our joy remains and stays? It's when we walk in a relationship with the living God and we obey his commandments. What The only thing that can rob the Christian of your joy is your sin, your disobedience to God. If, if you're telling you know, Jesus, you're my Lord. You come in here on Sunday. Jesus, you're my Lord. I love you. I worship you. I give you everything. And then you go out on Sunday afternoon or Monday and you deliberately sin against God. You do not keep his commandments. You'll find your joy dissipating. If you walk out of this place and you're only seeking to abide in a relationship with Christ, you're only walking in his word, you're walking in his spirit on Sundays. And you're not abiding in him. 
you'll find that your joy dissipates. You'll lose it. There's no external force that can take your joy. There's no, nothing from this world that can rob you of your joy. You can face the most heinous and most painful of circumstances and still be filled with that joy that comes from the innermost part of your being, from the Spirit of God who dwells in you. But if you choose to disobey God and sin against God, you'll lose your joy. So joy is resistant to external attacks but the kind of joy that we're talking about can be lost if you choose to give it up. As long as you make that decision that I'm going to walk in that relationship with Christ in obedience to him, you'll be grounded in joy. And that's the third and final point. Joy is rooted in this relationship with God. And you see this expressed in Jesus' words there, beginning in verse 23, when he says, In that day you'll not ask anything, uh, in that day you'll not ask anything of me, Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive so that your joy may be complete. He is not talking about here that you can ask for the lottery and that money will be poured out on you. He's talking about asking things in his name. Here's the, the true bottom line. Your joy and my joy in Christ is going to be rooted in this relationship with him. Up till this point, the disciples have not had to ask the Father of anything in Jesus' name because Jesus was right there. After Jesus goes and the Spirit of God is poured out on them, it is as they walk in that relationship that was purchased by the blood of Christ that they're going to find true joy that cannot be explained in human terms. It is, that, it is what Christ did. In fact, what he is about to do from their perspective, when he goes to that cross and dies on the cross and sheds his blood for, for them, then they will be able to come before the throne of God in his name. They'll be able to cry out with angels, holy, holy, holy. They'll be able to walk in a relationship with the living God. They'll be able to experience the daily presence of God through his Holy Spirit. You and I have the opportunity and the privilege of, of living a life like Adam did in the garden. We get to walk with God. We get to experience his presence because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. If it were not for the sorrow that they were about to face, the separation they were about to see, and then the coming joy, the, res the death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Christ, there would be no hope of entering into the presence of God in his name. Do you know that you and I cannot come into the presence of God outside of Jesus outside of his name and his work on the cross? You know, the truth is that because of your sin and my sin, we cannot stand before a holy God. We have no hope of entering into an eternity with God in heaven. We have no hope of coming into the presence of, of the holy of holies, the one who is, who is above and beyond everything else. You and I don't have that hope because the, the holiness of God would... Would like the sun would des de destroy a, a, an ant that was thrown into its midst. The holiness of God would burn us to death because of our sin. But because of the blood of Christ, our sin has been forgiven. We've been washed clean, and we can stand in the presence of God in his name. 
We can find true joy, true peace in the midst of whatever comes our way because we can come into the presence of God and remain in the presence of God and walk in the presence of God every single moment of our lives. The disciples had not had that privilege before. No one had had that privilege since the fall of Adam in the garden. But you and I have that opportunity to find joy that is overwhelming because we can walk in the presence of God. And it is absolutely, utterly dependent upon the death of Christ on the cross and the appropriation of his blood to your soul and to mine and his resurrection from the dead. See, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would not have hope of life. And it's also dependent, when you go back to the beginning of this message, it's dependent upon what God the gift God gave us at Pentecost, the very gift of his presence. You and I don't have to wait until one day to experience true joy. We don't have to wait until Jesus returns. We don't have to wait until we die and we wake up and and see the golden streets of heaven or the mansion on a hilltop. We don't have to wait. We can experience joy that, that wells up from inside our spirit through the presence of the Holy Spirit today, but it is always rooted in a relationship with Christ. It is because he died on the cross that our sins are forgiven. It's because he rose again that we have hope of life. And it's because of his outpouring of his Holy Spirit that you and I can have a daily walk in his very presence. We can experience the joy of heaven today when we walk in a relationship with Christ. And no one, nothing can rob you of, your, of that joy outside of your own disobedience and sin.